Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I lost track of the days. I was about to say hello and welcome to Thursdays. We got it. Oh, jeez. I'm all out of it, man. I'm all out of sorts. I got no excuses. I'm just tired. Generally, things are looking up on the Vespers household front. Yesterday, the kids were off to school. Today, they are off to school again. I still have, like, one eye on my phone, half expecting that call that's like, oh, yeah, you got to come get them. So-and-so pooped their pants. (laughs) So you want to have kids. Let me talk to you a little bit about something. All right, so we got a big Wednesday to recap. Actually, not that big. I think it was, what, nine games yesterday? Not overwhelming. Thursday, coming around the bend. Morning news. There is one piece. And, uh, but the biggest thing, as I embark upon today's episode, is that I have now officially set up the page for our trade deadline live show. I bring this up because I need your help. That's the link to it. I'll throw it on the screen. Uh, To those that are uh, listening after the fact, I will make sure to have it in some sort of, I think it's, I'll, I'll put it in the show description, trade deadline, live show, you know, go here, whatever. The reason I bring it up is because I actually need your guys' help. I need everybody's collective effort on this one. I need you guys to go to that link and click the thumbs up button on the trade deadline live show anytime between now and three weeks from now. Because believe it or not, the trade deadline is three weeks from today. Jumped up on us a little bit, didn't it? The NBA season is, you know, we're rumbling along. We're halfway through, guys. Most teams have played about 41 ball games. So for head-to-head leagues where you wipe out the last three weeks and your playoffs are three weeks before that, we're pretty deep into this thing. What are we, about 12? I've lost track of I've lost track of what week we're on. I think this is week 13 now. No, that's not right, is it? Is this week 13? Does anybody know what the hell's going on? Yeah, it's week 13. So you knock six weeks out of that thing. You got six weeks probably of regular season left, and two of those are going to be mushed together for the All-Star break. So head-to-head leaguers, you're kind of coming down the stretch a little bit. Roto, you guys got till the end. Long way to go yet. All that to say, trade deadline show's coming up. I need you guys to hit the thumbs up button on that show before it starts. Because when it starts, and we're going at 7.30 a.m. Pacific time that day, 10.30 a.m. Eastern time, which is a full uh, four and a half hours before the actual deadline. So we're going to be rumbling, man. We're going to be rumbling for a long time. Any trades that went down beforehand, we'll break those down, including we'll, talk, we'll go back and talk about this Siakam deal. We'll have a much better idea what the hell it actually meant. And uh, the key here is that if it has a lot of likes on it, right when it comes roaring out of the chute on that Thursday morning, three weeks from today, it'll get into the algorithm. It's our biggest show of the year. It's when we try to rack up a lot of hits and new followers, and it's sort of like this big blowout event. I'm going to be getting all of our guys that are interested in being on camera. We'll get them all in here. We'll get fantasy takes across the board. I'm going to be sitting in a chair for four and a half straight hours. I'll probably be dead at the end of it. I need to figure out, do I have a ball game that day? Oh, of course I do. Yeah, I got a basketball doubleheader I'm doing play-by-play of later that evening. If you're looking, what am I? what's Dan looking at right here? Why does it look like Dan's looking at a Cliff Bar package? It's because I've written down all the days where I might have play-by-play on the back of it. Look at that. That's all class, man. You guys are following me. Obviously not for my ability to have a professional environment because, you know, big board behind me and dates written down on the back of a Cliff Bar box. Woof. Woof. So anyway, those that are watching, that link is right on your screen. It's in the chat room if it's easier to just click it over there. 
please go to the Trade Deadline live show. Please hit the thumbs up button. I'm going to bug you guys about this every day, and it's going to slow down how fast I get into fantasy chatter unless you guys actually start to do it. But you've waited long enough, so let's get into fantasy chatter now. And we begin. Minnesota beat Detroit. Honestly, it took a little bit longer for Minnesota to wake up and do this than it probably should have. We got one of our uh, Jaden McDaniels wake-up games. It happens eh, once a week or so, which is a shame because we know he has the ability to be a really interesting fantasy player. You know, he's a 1-1-1 guy last year. He's not at 1-1-1 this season, kind of ramping up the minutes over the last little bit. When he gets going, he can be a lot of fun. But he gets going so damn rarely that all we can do is look at it and go, oh. If only he was in a scenario where he wasn't like the sixth option on a team. But he is. So we move on. To the Detroit side, where Jaden Ivey went nuts. 32 points, four boards, six assists, four three-pointers on good percentages. And the big question mark with Ivy that we've talked about over the last week and a half with this with Cade Cunningham being out is, could the good outweigh the bad? And a couple of games it did, a couple of games it didn't. This one it very much did. But you kind of have to look at the whole body of work right now, which is incredible popcorn numbers. Over the last two weeks, he's averaging 20 points, four, uh, five rebounds, six assists, two threes, a steal, and a block per game. But he's doing on, on what's basically a punt free throw number. Five free throws a game at 62%. That's Rudy Gobert land. Three plus turnovers a night and high volume 46, which is not disastrous, but high volume 46% from the field, largely because his field goal percent has been better, I think, the last two ball games, but certainly much better in this one. So we start our Jaden Ivey discussion by once again saying this is a guy who is tailor-made for points leagues because then you don't care if he has the ball game where the percentages are a frickin' train wreck. But every once in a while here, he'll go ahead and he'll just give you 9-cat stuff. I personally don't have the stones to start him in Roto against a game's cap. I value percentages way too much. You guys know I love to attack those categories. I think that they're an easy way to rack up uh, points, roto points, wins, whatever you want to call it, when other people are completely ignoring them. But, I mean, obviously, this is a massive line. So you kind of have to balance two things in your head at the same time. Can we start Jaden Ivey and be comfortable with an idea that, oh, what if he comes out and he puts up 25-5, and five, but he does it on 20 shots and misses four free throws? Am I okay with that? I'm not in roto. I probably am in head-to-head. Because, you know, you catch lightning in a bottle for one or two games, and he's a big boost to your team for three games in a row. Then the next week, it's possible he tanks your team. And that's one of the issues I see with the way uh, folks are playing head-to-head right now. We've gone, the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of who cares about percentages at all. They fluctuate too much from week to week. That point inherently is true. But if you're planning on using a player on your team for multiple weeks, eventually what they are is what they are. You know, like short term, if you just used Jaden Ivey for the last, what, two games where he shot 50% or better, outstanding. He's been, well, he went four for seven at the free throw line and he has seven turnovers in these two games, but whatever. Like, the last two games for Jaden have been much more good than bad. The games before that, there was, I would argue, maybe more bad than good. It's debatable, but it's closer, certainly. The last two, the good has outweighed the bad. So, yeah, someone, I've, I've actually, I've had this happen to me a number of times, and, and I get it, the argument of, well, like, who cares if you catch him on the right week? Uh, like, even if you have a good field goal percent team on the head-to-head side, you're going to have a bad week, and so maybe it matches up. But all of this has to be calculated. What are the odds that Jaden Ivey has two positive impact percentage weeks in a row? What are the odds that he has two negative impact percentage weeks in a row? It's bigger than... That second thing I was talking about, the odds of it being negative impact stuff in the 
we'll call them the points league categories again, than the odds of it being positive. People have gotten so caught up in this idea that, oh, you have no idea what a guy's going to do week to week that you can't worry about it on the head-to-head side. You can worry about it because over some length of time, if you're thinking about Jaden Ivey for three weeks or four weeks or whatever, those numbers will catch up. Guys will be who they actually are. I think we're putting too much stock in, well, you might just dodge the bad week. Or, like, what if his bad week lines up with other guys' bad weeks on your team anyway? And it's like, well, I was going to lose those categories regardless. If you are punting a category, that's its own discussion. Fine. If you're punting free throw percent, Jaden Ivey gets a bump. If you're bunting field goal percent, Jaden Ivey gets a bump. If you're bunting punting turnovers, Jaden Ivey gets a bump. There's no chance I would argue that. That is 100% right. He is much better if you're in a points league or if you're punting one or two of those points league specific categories. But if you're not punting those and you're just like, I expect these things to be so random in their fluctuating that I can't even worry about it, you are basically describing punting without actually saying you're punting. So if you don't care about those, you can't have it both ways. You're either punting it or you're not. If you're in between, eventually the percentages are going to break you, and you're not even going to realize it's happening because you've convinced yourself that you can't game plan for it. That's just not true. You can game plan. We need to make sure the pendulum gets to the middle. Because for a long time, and I'm very guilty of this because I play in a lot of Roto League, so I want to take responsibility. For a long time, you can worry too much about percentages. And on this show, I probably have worried too much about percentages because I love to win them. But now, we've gone so far the other way where everybody is punting a field goal or a free throw or a turnover or some combination of those that now everybody's doing it. And so we have to find the midpoint. The midpoint is understanding that math works out in the end. So someone like Jaden Ivey, you can say, oh, well, like, look, we had a really good ball game here. His percentages were good. I can play him in head-to-head even if I'm not punting, and it'll be fine. It might be for a game or two, but eventually it's going to be what it's going to be. And it's going to, if you're not punting, hurt more than it helps in certain spots. Hopefully that made sense. I wanted to spend some time on him because I thought he was interesting. By the way, I'm still streaming Alec Burks. I don't know why, but I am because he's generally been scoring a lot for this team, so I think we can continue there. Milwaukee-Cleveland, you can throw this one out. There was no Giannis and then uh, obviously a 40-point game, so just roll along. One shout-out to George Niang, who had 33 points and 14 shots. He went 13 for 14, just an unbelievable game for Niang. Everybody loved it because he's beloved, but doesn't matter. Let's keep going. You know, you're just ignoring that game. Throw it out. Houston has uh, fallen on hard times now, and for a while it was because their depth was being tested. Now I think it's just because the the grind of an NBA season is finally kind of taking its toll on this team that came out of the shoot and they were red hot and they were sort of the upstart team, and now the league has figured them out a little bit. So now it's time for them to make the adjustment. I like to think of these types of scenarios as uh, like a... You know, a pitcher breaks into the big leagues, but nobody really has the book on their stuff. So the first time they face everybody, they get them out. But the second time they face everybody, big league heaters are like, yeah, I've seen your slider now. And that's kind of what's happened here with Houston. Teams have sort of seen their slider. So now it's going to be up to the Rockets to make that counter adjustment. If they're the pitcher, all right, what do I do? Do I work in a change? Do I change the sequencing? For basketball, it's what, how, what can we come up with now offensively that gets us a little more uh, creative? How do we use our pieces a little more creatively? Because right now they're basically only down Tari Eason. They've got their starting five from the beginning of the year. These are the five guys that got them off to this hot start with very little bench help. I do think there's fatigue setting in to some degree. You've seen Shengun's percentages have slipped a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. He went on that big heater after his coach called him out played 40 minutes in this game so it's not like they're like short on energy 
But I think you're seeing some of these guys get a little stuck in the mud. Jabari Smith Jr. has slowed. Jalen Green's been kind of terrible. And he had an Instagram post that uh, of a guy looking at a sign in a window that said, you're so deep in your own head or something like that. Jalen Green is way deep in his own head. And I don't know that that's going to just break out at some point soon. So what are they going to do? They don't have other pieces they're about to just throw in there for more. They got to figure it out internally. Fantasy-wise, I don't think you change anything. Freddie Van Vliet's been very good after a slow start. Alperin Shengmoon's been solid all year. He's in the 50s right now. Pretty damn close, actually, to where he was drafted. Um, Jabari Smith Jr. has been generally pretty okay. Dylan Brooks, you're not playing. And then if you can sit on Eason, you do. But we don't really have a great idea of his actual return timeline. So I get it if you cannot. For the Knicks, this was the game where Josh Hart outplayed Dante DiVincenzo. And at some point, that was going to happen. We just didn't really know when. Stick with Dante for now. I don't think I would make any moves off of DiVincenzo uh, until this... I don't want to say until, but unless this becomes a more consistent thing where Hart gets 30 minutes and Dante gets 20. Lately, it had been more like both guys getting... You know, Hart was like 25 and DiVincenzo was 25. But Dante's per-minute production continues to be very good, and that's why you stick with him over Hart, even though Josh is coming off a double-double. Toronto blew out Miami. Uh, I think the one thing to take away on the Miami side is that you're basically done with streamers. Caleb Martin was fine. Duncan Robinson was fine, but this, these are, that's not good enough. Fine is not good enough. The only one you're considering still would be Jaime Jaquez Jr., who's out right now with an injury, and he's probably the starting power forward when he gets back. But if, I mean, I still don't know that it guarantees him 30 minutes. And I don't know that it guarantees him enough stuff with Butler, Hero, and Bam all healthy. So I'm actually, I think, probably in favor of just moving on from Heat streamers. But if you want to wait it out, if you can stash Hakez in an injured spot, then, you know, have at it. Feel free. I'd like that. I just, I don't think it's, he, I don't think he's going to be amazing enough per game for it to really matter all that much. This was the Toronto roster without Bruce Brown and and without Jakob Pertl, who's out but not traded. And I want us to remember what this looks like because there is a very real chance that Bruce Brown gets uh, shuttled along to another team. He's a very movable contract and a player that a lot of teams are going to want. There's also a shot that Jakob Pertl could get moved on from, although I don't know that that's necessarily the case. They may want to have just some kind of big man. Because without Pirtle, their options at center are dismal. Now, especially without Siakam in town. Jonte Porter started, played 18, kind of okay minutes, but then Thad Young played 28 off the bench, and you just don't know who's going to do what on a given night, so probably leave that situation alone. I mean, hell, even Chris Boucher got 18 minutes yesterday. The I thought the note to watch was Gary Trent Jr., who slid into the starting lineup here pre-Bruce Brown and had 28 points and almost nothing else. But still, 28 points and eight three-pointers does get your attention on a big on a hot shooting night. That, that's not a repeatable number. But the thing about Trent is he needs usage. And unloading Siakam freed up a lot of usage. A lot. Because the OG trade made it tougher. They sent out some amount of usage, and R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly came back and actually took more than what OG had. So life got tougher for the other guys. This Siakam trade likely brings more usage back to the pack. The reason I bring up Gary Trent, and the reason I think you probably need to just add him and kind of see what happens is, again, trade deadline's only three weeks away. If Bruce Brown gets traded, and it's mostly for additional picks, Gary Trent Jr. is probably the starting shooting guard the rest of the year at that point. He's uh, got added a lot overnight, and for good reason, because he uh, made a ton of shots yesterday. Um, and again, you look at the sort of the rest of the fantasy appeal for him, and it's almost exclusively threes and steals. But if he's out there for 30 minutes and there's no Siakam around, he's going to get some shots. He got 13 of them yesterday. I don't even need him to make as many as he made last night. Just give me 13, 14 shots of Gary Trent, like actually involved in the offense. 
and he becomes fantasy-capable at that point. Dennis Schroeder's minutes were a little bit lower. That's a spot where maybe you see it tip back, and then obviously if Pirtle's around, how does that, does it create a logjam as you push everybody a little bit farther down the board? Um, all of these things are possibilities, but I just, I don't see that many people out there right now on the wire where you're like, oh, this guy's been a top 40 dude in the past, and no, we're not going to get that iteration of Gary Trent again this year, but could he be a top 80, 90 guy? Sure. And again, those guys are not out there right now. So add him, see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Because presumably Bruce Brown's going to come in and play, and then Gary Trent's going to be terrible during that stretch. So you're, you're picking him up here mostly as a stash. I say again, mostly as a stash. Spurs got blown out. Wemby's going to sit the back-to-back, so that'll be good for guys like Vassell and, I mean, I guess Keldon Johnson, who's really fallen on hard times. You guys remember early in the year when I started to get worried that I had totally misrepresented Keldon Johnson? I don't feel dumb anymore on that one. He's down to 128. He's just been falling, 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 falling. Trey Jones is the guy you're holding there. Obviously, Wembenyama. Um, and then Vassell, who he's fine. I'm, you guys know, I'm just not excited about the other Spurs. Vassell's number 75, though. That's not bad. He's behind his ADP, but he's doing fine. This should be a better game for him coming up. Uh, I don't know if the Spurs ever sort of take the the handcuffs off of Wembenyama this year. I mean, they're in full tank mode, so why would they? But anyway... As far as the Celtics go, this was a two-players-out scenario. No Kristaps uh, Porzingis and no Derek White. So we knew Al Horford was going to get a start, and we knew he'd be fine from a nine-cat standpoint. What we didn't know was who the other guy would be. And at some points, it had been Sam Hauser this year. Uh, we'd seen Peyton Pritchard pick up some slack, and he actually did off the bench in this one. But it was Luke Cornett, the Green Cornet who played 30 minutes as the starting center, had nine boards, four assists, a steal, and three blocks. You're not even really worried about the scoring at that point. I cannot, in my wildest dreams, nightmares, imagine that this type of thing happens more than maybe one or two additional times all year. But we should be aware of it, because if they're like, look, we're going to start Luke Cornett here, and uh, you're looking at it like, well... I would say against terrible teams, blowout scenarios maybe are better for you in that. But no, you're not adding him right now. We move along. Orlando's a mess. Luckily, the Atlanta side of this game has basically zero fantasy thoughts of any kind. It was nice to see Clint Capella and Onyeko Kongwu play side by side. That was good because that's good for Okongwu. Otherwise, you know, no news at all of any kind for Atlanta. Orlando... uh, all right, so let's just let's just work our way through these guys. First of all, Chuma Okiki is uh, filling in for Gary Harris right now, but you're not making an ad there. Caleb Houston is filling in for Franz Wagner, and you didn't make an ad there either. So let's throw those names out of our uh, of our minds. Cole Anthony is not hot right now. He had three blocks, which is notable, but overall, he's a guy you're only playing when he goes on heaters. So that's not now. Uh, Anthony Black didn't play at all, so that's an easy one. Jonathan Isaac played 10 minutes, so that's an easy one. Now let's get into the tougher stuff. Jalen Suggs, 28 minutes, did have 16 points and four boards with three three-pointers on a on a good shooting evening. But the steals have dried up. And that was always a little bit of a fear because this is a guy that hasn't really made it through a season healthy yet. So the question hanging over Suggs was... With him playing at the energy level he was playing at to start the year, could he maintain that for an entire season? And it just kept going and going. And I thought, all right, well, maybe I, maybe he can. I, maybe my reservations are misplaced. Well, it's it, it, between injuries and just general midseason fatigue, you're seeing kind of a steals lull for Suggs. Here's what I would do. If you can play him through this, say, Roto Stash or head-to-head sort of like active semi-stash, I think I would do that because I do believe that at some point here he's going to get a burst of energy and then you're going to see those steals come roaring back in a way that they have been down lately. I don't know when that happens. Might be after the All-Star break. Some of these guys get like an extra deep breath of energy when they can see the finish line. 
So, yeah, you might be looking at, like, another month of kind of diminished SUGS. And if that's not going to be good enough, then you move on. That's okay. Markel Fultz, I think, is an ad. He played 30 minutes off of the bench. I don't know that his fantasy game is going to fully translate this year. Uh, this would be his best opportunity because Franz Wagner's out, and Mo Wagner's not even playing, so no Wagners are in there right now. We're Wagnerless. But Fultz playing 30 minutes is notable. So pick him up, see what happens. He's more of a speculative ad, similar to Gary Trent, I guess, speculative ad. But who of those, if someone's like, well, which one I, would I go with between those two guys? I'd probably go Gary Trent just because his fantasy game has actually worked out better in the past than faults, unless, you, unless you're punting threes, in which then you flip it back the other way. The center position is the other question lingering here with uh, Orlando. And right now, Goga Batadze and Wendell Carter Jr. each played exactly half the ball game, down to the second, 24 minutes apiece. Wendell Carter Jr. had three defensive stats, three three-pointers, and he shot six of seven in this ball game. And I'll give you guys a nickel if that happens again this year. Meaning six cash counters and 86% shooting. I'll give y'all a nickel. <laughs> A shiny nickel. Wendell Carter Jr. in 24 minutes is not going to be good enough, good enough in nine-category leagues. He has a chance at points league value, kind of an outside chance, but a chance nonetheless. Batadze in 24 minutes is closer, and he's still starting. For how long? I don't know. That might flip in the very next ballgame, but I think as long as Goga's starting, you could treat him a little bit like a Nick Richards type in that he's probably never going to be better than, like, top 100 but top 100 big man who gets you some boards, some blocks, and an okay field goal percent, there is a usefulness for that in most fantasy formats, or most category leagues, I guess I should say. So I'm okay with Goga as kind of like a low-end plodding streamer. You just can't expect much. Like, you got a double-double and three defensive stats. That's the best you can expect. He's not going to blow the doors off almost ever, and you just want, like, Easy, quiet, reasonable, plodding center lines every night. That's what you want. If he loses his starting job, though, send him into the sun. Poor Charlotte. They're so terrible. They're really, really terrible. They're 8-30. and 30. Obviously, losing LaMelo for two months really set them back, but they're not even winning with him back right now. They're still down, what, two, three regulars at this point? But at least you've got, like, four guys that you can reliably start. Rozier, Ball, Richards, Miles Bridges. People keep asking me when I think Mark Williams is going to be back. I think it's in the next 12 days. I don't know why I'm picking that number. The problem is, and everybody's like, Dan, you, were, you nailed Zach Levine coming back, and you nailed LaMelo Ball coming back, and you nailed Bradley Beal coming back. And I was like, look, here's the thing about those. Here's the thing about those. Those were ankle, leg, foot type of stuff. And like with Levine, we had a general idea of when he was going to get reevaluated. And LaMelo Ball, there weren't any updates on him, but when he was out for five weeks and we didn't have an update, it was like, look, the longest this dude's going to be out is eight. So yeah, like this is the time to go make a move on him before an update pops up. Mark Williams is weird because he's just had this back thing all season and as someone who has some back problems, and we've seen it in the NBA, Brooke Lopez, there was a back problem, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's out for the year. And then Michael Porter Jr. was, oh, he's out for the year. These types of things, they don't go away. They don't heal the way that a foot or an ankle generally does. They're just more unpredictable. Back is, I guess, not technically like a core injury, but it has that same thing where it's like, I don't know when an oblique is going to get better on one of these guys. It just gets used so much, and it's so easy to yank on it that, like, if Mark Williams goes out there and, you know, he's going for a rebound and he lands leaning with his weight backwards, that might knock him out for another month and a half. So I think he probably does resurface here in the next couple of weeks, but I don't have even close to the same level of confidence in that statement as I had on those other guys coming back from their ankle and foot injuries. If you want to stash Mark Williams, I think this is a reasonable time to do it. It feels like after the All-Star break would be kind of like the latest we'd see him. But it's a little more risky because the Hornets are terrible, so there's sort of no reason to push him back in. And back stuff is strange. 
I don't want to repeat myself too much on the Jonas Valanciunas thing, but with Larry Nance around, JV is more like an 80 to 120 range guy now instead of top 50. Just click the knob over on your board. Make sure you understand that's where he belongs. Lakers played well for the second game in a row. They played well. They got, uh, I think they got luckier. Now, the Mavs had a lot of trouble hitting three-pointers until pretty late in this ballgame. But I will give the Lakers credit. They actually guarded the three-point line better in this one than they had maybe all season. They Mavs still had a number of open looks because, I mean, look, Luka and Kyrie are going to get some other guys open. Uh, but Tim Hardaway Jr. was was absolute trash, total garbage. And a lot of that was because the Lakers actually, like, stayed on him. There were there was a contest on some shots. It's amazing how much that changes. So, what does that mean? Well, I bring that up because first of all, Derek Jones Jr. was back for this ball game. Grant Williams was in for this ball game. No Dante Exum, uh, and nobody for the Mavs had value outside of the big two plus Derek Lively at center. And that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. I know Kyrie had a, b- a bad ball game. He'll be fine, obviously. But right now, for me, the only Mavs I'm playing are Luka, Kyrie, and Lively. And I'm not sitting on Exum because I don't know when he's coming back, and I still think he's due. I mean, like, the guy was shooting 70% for two and a half weeks there. He's obviously due for a mean reversion to hit hard. I don't think you need to hold on to any of those wings. And then for the Lakers, I I, I just I, I can't believe how many people uh, gave up on D'Angelo Russell. And we're just like, oh, yeah, surely the Lakers are going to play Cam Reddish big minutes for the rest of the year. Lakers are finally playing their guys that can score. And then and against a Mavs team that's not very good defensively and has kind of no size on defense. Although Maxi Klebo was back for this ballgame. Something to keep an eye on, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. Uh, the Lakers just took it right to them every time. Guys were wide open on every possession. Life just wasn't that complicated when you removed multiple non-threats from your lineup. No, Lakers. Oh, Lakers. Uh, Brooklyn's terrible. Spencer Dinwiddie at least bounced back. I continue to be very worried about Dinwiddie's fantasy value. He's technically a hold. I don't I don't even want him on the Roto side. Like to me, he's just he's not even all that close. He's number 152 in 31 minutes a game on the year. Going into last night's game, I think Spencer Dinwiddie had the lowest field goal percent of any qualifying player in the NBA. I think he may have moved in front of someone with a better shooting game yesterday, but that's just I mean, that's just not a guy you can use in Roto. Cam Johnson was a little bit better. Mikael Bridges was okay. I mean, this team is just bad. Blow it up, Brooklyn. Blow it up. We know Dorian Finney-Smith is on the block. We know Royce O'Neal is on the block. Blow it up. Trade somebody relevant. Trade Dinwiddie so we can get, you know, 28 minutes of Dennis Smith Jr. They're not going to trade Nick Claxton, so let's not get too crazy about that. But they could trade they could trade Finney Smith and or Royce O'Neal. Of course, if Ben Simmons comes back, then there wasn't a there wouldn't be a big winner there. I think the guys you're watching on this team are, you know, what if they move a ball handler and then Cam Johnson gets to take a few more shots? What if they move Dinwiddie and then Dennis Smith Jr. gets more run? What if they move someone that allows Cam Thomas to get back into the starting lineup and take 20 shots a ball game? There are a few weird little paths to backups having value, but not to a point where I'd say, oh, you need to sit on Dennis Smith Jr. right now because, like, what are you going to do with 14 minutes and a bad stat line? And Roto, is that your best stash opportunity out there? No, definitely not. I think I'd like to do a stashes show at some point for whatever that's worth. And then on the Portland side, and before we give you a quick Portland breakdown, I want to remind everybody, and there are many of you now that are watching live that were not before, please, I beg of you all, head over to its, I just created it last night, it's our trade deadline live shows page. Please head there. I just threw the graphic on the screen. If you're watching, again, uh, if you're listening, it'll be in the show description, so just scroll down and click it there. Please head there and hit the thumbs up button for me. It actually makes a massive, massive difference if we can have a lot of thumbs-uppage 
before the show even starts. And it's three weeks from today. We've got 25 thumbs up as of this morning. So thank you to the 25 people that did it overnight. If you're going to click like on this show that you're watching right now, or if you're going to subscribe or whatever, please also do it to our 2024 trade deadline live show. We go on earlier and we're on longer than basically anybody else in the universe. We'll be talking fantasy impacts. If you haven't caught our trade deadline live show, it's the most fun show that I do all season long. We have some amazing voices from across the fantasy industry, and we just have a damn wingding for four and a half hours talking NBA trades and results and stashes and pickups and drops and all this stuff. But I need your help. I need you guys clicking the like button now so that way when we start the show, it immediately has a whole bunch of people watching. So please do that. Also, shout out to manscaped.com. Promo code there is ethos20, ethos20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order at manscaped.com. Clean yourself up the way I have. Look how pretty I am now. Look at this. Look at me. Look at me. I've cleaned my face. I look about eight years younger, by the way, when I trim my beard, which is exciting because when you're 40, you want to look younger. And when you're younger than that, you want to look older. So thank you to Manscaped for making me look younger again. Again, that promo code there is ethos two zero to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Matisse Thibel injured mid-game for the Blazers. Y'all that are watching can see it's an ankle situation. Uh, what does that mean? Well, probably a little bit more Jabari Walker, who got 30 minutes but didn't do a whole lot with it. Malcolm Brogdon is seeing nice minutes right now because Shaden Sharp is out for a couple of weeks. Jeremy Grant had himself a uh, game-winning offensive putback. And poor DeAndre Ayton got trapped in his neighborhood that was iced over in Portland. Couldn't make it to the ballgame, even though he was finally probable. So Duop Reith got one more stream game. But that's likely done now. You can uh, almost definitely drop Reith because Ayton's going to come back. And frankly, giving him an extra day or two to uh, get fully healthy means they can probably give him a better workload. Uh, so make sure Ayton is ready to go. Ayton, Brogdon, Simons are the only three Blazers you're starting night to night. Scoot is your is I guess technically a a trade deadline stash because not that like something's gonna free him up, but at some point, I mean Brogdon is definitely on the block for the Blazers. Uh, but Scoot's gonna just get given the keys at some point here, and you're gonna have to deal with the good and the bad. Well, you hope the good outweighs the bad. That's kind of this whole thing. He hasn't really shown any consistent signs that he's figuring out NBA game speed yet. And that's why back in November, when people were like, what do we do about Scoot? I was like, well, if you can wait for him to be okay until February or March, have at it. I can't. I'm not a long-term stash guy in any format. I know in head-to-head, -head, it's like, well, maybe I can survive it without it. And I get this big bump going into my playoffs. There's no guarantee you get the bump anyway. I know, fuddy-duddy Bespris, back at it again. But I'm just not in favor of stashing super young dudes and hoping that they figure it out part way. Now, it is mid-January, so you're kind of looking at it like, well, can I make it to the All-Star break? Three, four weeks sitting on him. Bah! He's hurting you way more than he's helping almost every single night. So head-to-head, -head, he's losing you stuff. Roto, if you wanted to just plop him on your bench... Okay, that's fine. I guess that's okay. I'm okay with that. But again, there's no guarantee that he just comes out of the break and understands NBA speed. A lot of young guys do start to get better during those last few weeks, but not all of them. Let's very quickly look at the five games tonight since it's such a short card, and we have a minute or two here to uh, briefly dive in on it. What are we watching for tonight? Uh, Washington is at New York. Um, Daniel Gafford is in concussion protocol, so my assumption is that he's out for this game. I don't think it's been made official yet, but uh, presumably that's on its way. Um, someone asked me if I'm picking up Marvin Bagley. I, I mean, you know, one-day head-to-head stream, you could. There's no guarantee he gets more than 22 minutes, though, anyway. So I'm not. Too risky. For the Knicks, uh, I don't think you're making any real adjustments here. We mentioned it earlier in the show, the whole DiVincenzo versus Josh Hart thing. Still on Team Dante right now. 
Chicago start the starters these days. Toronto, is, do we see Bruce Brown? We don't have a ruling on that as of this morning, so keep an eye on that. If he's in, he probably ruins whatever we were getting out of Gary Trent. I still think that Trent is worth holding probably now through the All-Star break just to see what happens because, I mean, it might not take until the full three weeks for the Raptors to move Bruce Brown somewhere else, or they might not at all. A lot of times the stash stuff doesn't pan out. A lot of times, like 80 to 90% of the time or more, it doesn't pan out. But that's one that could and would be good. Oklahoma City, uh, I just I feel like Shea needs to take a game off, but it doesn't seem like he wants to. So this should be a fun one up in Utah, Salt Lake City. Uh, Jazz have been rolling. You guys know I'm playing three guys for the Jazz until someone changes my opinion on that. Uh, maybe call it three and a half because Jordan Clarkson is sort of a play while he's hot dude, and he's been hot lately, so you can play him. Uh, but Kessler for all the blocks, so many blocks, and then uh, Markinen and Sexton are the two very clear plays for the Jazz. Memphis is in Minnesota. This could be ugly if the Grizzlies or uh, if the Wolves, I should say, actually take this game seriously. Do these this uh, like a lotto drum of young guys in Memphis? Do they finally get it handed to them? Or, and this will happen a lot, teams are not going to take the Grizzlies seriously because they're not a serious team right now. They're down the entire organization, like minus JJJ who's still alive. Uh, so teams are going to be like, look, we're going we can beat this team going at eighty. 70, 60%. And most times, veteran NBA players would rather just coast for an entire game than play really, really, really hard for two and a half to three quarters. I don't know why. Uh, my guess, as someone who is not in the NBA, is that it actually takes more energy to go really, really hard for thir uh, 25 minutes than it does to go meh for like 33, even though it's five to eight additional minutes. If you're just kind of cruising, it's just not sapping their strength the same way. So you probably see a lot of that. And Minnesota did a little bit of that against Detroit, and there's kind of no reason why they will crank it up here back at home against Memphis. So do I think the Grizzlies weirdos have an okay game? I think they do. Um, I'd like to see Xavier Tillman and Santi Aldama's lines. That's something I'm watching closely. Also, Vince Williams, he's been good lately. GG Jackson has come blasting out of nowhere. What does he do in this one? A lot of these guys are going to fall on their faces at some point soon because, again, you know, the grind of an NBA season. But we're still very early in the, oh, my goodness, who are they phase. So enjoy it. Sounds like Pascal Siakam is not ready to make his Pacers debut tonight. Is He's targeting tomorrow. So no Bruce Brown. Neesmith is questionable. He's a game-time call. Halliburton's still out. Uh, so you probably get a pretty decent line from T.J. McConnell. You probably get an okay line from someone like a Jalen Smith. And you probably get a very usable line from Buddy Heald, who I'm sure is going to want to stick it in Sacramento's eye, which means he's going to take 20 shots. He might miss 14 of them. But uh, Heald taking usage is a Heald that you'd want to start. And I'm going to assume that if Neesmith is back out again, then Buddy would also be starting. But you're going to probably want to wait on lineups for the late game to make that final call. And as for Sacramento, uh, Kevin Herter, I think, is the only note there. He is notoriously one of the streakiest shooters in the NBA that no one talks about being super streaky because, with apologies, no one really cares in the fantasy space about Kevin Herter because most of the time he's bland and annoying to roster. But when he gets hot, you get like two weeks where it's useful. Last year, Keegan Murray was not aggressive enough as a rookie, so Herter was able to stretch those hot streaks longer because the Kings just didn't have an option. Well, they had a better option, but that better option didn't want to take control. Keegan Murray's more willing to take control this year, so that's why Herter's hot stretches are much shorter, why he's not a rest-of-season guy, but you can play him when he's running warm for three, four, five games, and then as soon as you see, uh-oh, that shoe's on the way down, when it drops, get the hell out of Dodge. And that's your Thursday morning show. Whoops, I almost ended the show by accident there without saying bye-bye. Please don't leave me yet. I haven't finished. Uh, I do want to take one quick look at the chat room here, see if anybody brought up a point that I didn't address during the program. 
Uh, good question here from Dem Birds. If Bruce Brown ends up staying in Toronto through the year, do you think he plays starters minutes? I do think he plays starters minutes. My question for Bruce Brown is, does he get to do what he was doing in Indy or closer what he was doing in Denver? Because in Denver, he was basically the backup point guard. In Indiana, they have three point guards. They had Halliburton, Nemhard, and TJ McConnell. Toronto doesn't really have any point guards, per se. Emmanuel Quickly is a scoring point guard. Gary Trent is a shooting guard. Scotty Barnes, point forward, okay. But Bruce Brown's role in Toronto might a little bit more closely resemble what he was doing in Denver to what he was doing in Indiana. And so that's a reason that I'm a little bit more interested in Bruce Brown now than I was pre-trade. Because it did seem like he wasn't going to get enough boards or assists in Indiana to be fantasy relevant. You don't need him to shoot a bunch, and he's not going to shoot a bunch in Toronto either. But if he's more of a ball mover, orchestrator, you know, get a team into their offense a little bit. Like for Denver, he basically did that when Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic were resting last year. Uh, that could be what he ends up doing in Toronto. Are you going to be running a little point, getting quickly and Barrett and Barnes and whoever, and Trent, the basketball? Okay, well, do we see an uptick of like one to one and a half assists? Don't think something huge. It's not going to jump by like three, but one to one and a half actually makes a difference for these guys that are hovering in the 100 to 140 range. One and a half assists and a couple extra minutes a game or a couple extra touches, that could be enough to push a guy inside the top 100. And I think, let's see that. I'm doing a quick scan here. I know this isn't the best for audio only people. Um, someone asked if I prefer Scoot or Neesmith. Uh, Neesmith by quite a lot. Um, do, 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 do. Are we expecting a shutdown on Terry Rozier? No, I'm expecting him to get traded. He's a very much a trade candidate. There are a lot of teams that could use uh, a scoring guard who can also run some backup point, and I think he'd be rejuvenated getting the hell out of Charlotte. Numbers would be worse, but I think you'd get uh, a motivated Rozier so that, you know, he would take a hit fantasy-wise, um, but I wouldn't be... I think they move him for something. Like, holding on to him for Charlotte right now is is flat-out nuts, unless they're just like, oh, we're going to magically be good next year. Even though I think Miles Bridges becomes a free agent, and you know the the Hornets are a mess. A couple of stash-related questions: Keontae George, no, I don't think Utah. I think Utah's making a run at a play-in spot, so they're going to play everybody just the way they have been. Stash Brogdon, no, his his situation likely gets worse. He probably goes to a contender to be a backup point guard, um, and you know, looking at low to mid twenties in minutes on such a team. You can think of a lot of of teams that could really use a guy like Brogdon to come in and, and run a second unit, settle things down. I think of the Rockets, actually, as a team that could badly use another offensive weapon uh, and is and has no offensive depth of any kind. Um, you know, he'd have enough of a role there, but his, his role would not get better than what it is in Portland right now while one of the key guys is out. Now, the thing that could happen is if he goes to, like, the Rockets or and the same person in the chat room asking if he goes to the Heat or something like that, uh, there's probably not quite enough for him to do. But here's the thing about Brogdon. You're playing him right now because Shaden Sharp is out for one and a half to two more weeks. So this question is a little bit loaded in that you don't have to stash him because you can start him. If he was, if Brogdon was behind everyone in Portland, like say Sharp was healthy and Malcolm was playing 14 minutes, I'd say no. Uh, but the nice thing is, you just get to play him. He's an active stash right now. And now if Sharp Sharp comes back like seven, six, seven days before the deadline, then sure, hold on to Brogdon because he might get traded in four or five days from that point. So absolutely at that point. But this is sort of an interesting timeline question. You have to think about. The fact that he's actually useful right now. Uh, it sounds like Tyrese Halliburton actually has a chance to play tonight. Um, we don't have any finality on that, um, but that would certainly ruin any of the other point guard streams in Indiana. Um, I don't, there's nothing settled yet, but he has a shot. 
We're at, at we're at has a shot right now. Um, so keep your eye on that news as well. And the other news of the day is that the Mavs Warriors game tomorrow has been postponed to a later date as well. Uh, due to the tragic passing of the Warriors assistant coach we talked about on uh, yesterday's podcast. So, um, man, that's, that's uh, absolutely some sad news. Uh, so that ball game is postponed. The Warriors will eventually have a very uh, loaded-up schedule here when they reschedule the two games that got pushed. Mavs and Jazz are the other teams that have been impacted this by this so far, so they'll also have kind of a revamped and somewhat overloaded schedule later on. That's actually something to think about. Uh, I, I don't... I don't... I really don't want to get into it now because this is such a fresh and tragic occurrence, but there will be at some point down the line an opportunity to uh, try to get Warriors on your fantasy team if they now have two, one, two, three, however many games end up getting postponed here, additional games down the stretch. But I really don't want to get into that because this is this is pretty fresh and pretty sad. And I, I just I don't want to get too much into the fantasy ramifications because that's callous and uh, yeah, it's just gross. Um, let's wrap this thing up. We're over 50 minutes in. Thank you to everybody that joined us live. Thank you to everybody that listens after the fact. Please like, rate, subscribe, and please please head over to our trade deadline page and just click the thumbs up button. That's all I need you guys to do over there. I want to have at least 500 likes on that page before we even get to the show. And we're in the mid twenties. So I got a long way to go and I need everybody's help to get there. I am Dan Vespers for fantasy NBA today, a sports presentation. Have a wonderful Thursday, everybody. If all goes well, I might be able to get you guys a buy low show later this afternoon. Sit tight on that one. Talk to you in a bit. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.